0: Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big time defensive play. No holds barred. I paid a fool. It's the Fizz 5. Five.
1: Five. Five. Five.
0: Hello and welcome to a special three-person Fizz 5. This is going to be fun. Joining myself, William Griffin, we've got Francesco Simone and Tyler Aiken. Boys, not too often we have a three-man crew here. This is going to be fun. I
1: Listen, I, I hope not to step on anybody's toes, but I, I think it'll turn out for the best.
2: You know, Tyler Aiken walks in and says, hey, can I join him? We're like, yeah, why not? We like Tyler, so I think a three-person group is going to be good.
0: Uh, no, no kidding. That is the exact story. Francesco and I come in to record. Tyler's like, hey, can I do it? And it's the more the merrier. Let's get right into it with topic number one. Number one. Just when you thought things couldn't get worse, they do. If you thought last year's Florida State game was bad, oh boy, do we have another cookie in store for you. 41 to 3. The final in Tallahassee as fourth-ranked Florida State crushes Syracuse Francesca. We'll start with you. You were there calling was, the game for WAR. Yeah. Just what well, did it feel like a disaster from the get-go?
2: Walking into that stadium, right, Doug Campbell's awesome. It's a cathedral of football. It's 75 years old. It seems like it was built yesterday. It is an awesome, awesome environment. Um, it gets really loud in there. They fill that place even for a Syracuse game. Um, so that was cool. But just walking into the stadium, you knew. There was almost a feeling of resignation, Liam, that like, all right, we all know how this is going to end. The thing that disappointed me the most, and I'm curious to hear about from your guys' perspective, watching the game on television, it feels like the coaching staff never played to try to win the game. They were only playing to let's just not give up 90 points to Florida State.
0: I think that's a great way to put it, Francesco, because the way I saw it was every single. Let's let's focus on the defense, because even though it gave up 41 points. I want to give credit because it put up a good fight against one of, if not the best offenses in the ACC. It
2: was 24 in the third quarter.
0: It, it was 24 in the third quarter. Very good against the Florida State team. But against
2: a team that scores 45 a game.
0: If you're the Syracuse offense, how on earth do you repay that defense that gave you not one, two fourth down stops in the first half in a matter of minutes, and you just completely wet the bed? It's a it, it, The offense's performance this season – Granted, because of opponent, has been trending downhill, game by game, and it reached its rock bottom today or I, on Saturday. Y- you talk about playing not
1: to lose, and said that's just what Syracuse has done the past several weeks. You think about instead of going for on fourth down, kicking a 57-yard field goal, you think about. All the punt versus go for it decisions, or field goal versus go for it decisions, that Dino Babers has always played it safe on. It's one thing if you're playing against an army, but if you're playing against a top team, you have nothing to lose. Syracuse needs to play like it has nothing to lose, and I
0: have yet to see that this season. Uh, you mentioned that as soon, Francesco, as soon as the schedule got tough, mm-hmm. things started going downhill. I mean, if you look at the Clemson game. I feel like this has been a theme all season. Playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. And yeah. th- it reached its peak on Saturday. Some other things to get into from this one. What the heck happened to Garrett Schrader?
2: Yeah. Well, we walk into the press conference room after the game, and when Dino gets in there, one of the first things he says is, listen, Garrett had food poisoning, which is why he maybe wasn't you know, as hydrated as he could have been. And you're playing a Florida State team who's got NFL athletes up and down the roster. You want to be at 100%. If you're not, it's going to be even that much harder. The problem is, though, yeah, okay, you can make the excuse if he had food poisoning, and I'm sure he was not feeling very well, and it showed he looked sluggish, right? Against Clemson, he also looked slow. Against Carolina, he also looked slow. He didn't have food poisoning, as far as I know, in those games. The problem in those games was the team on the other side of the field has really elite-level athletes. Garrett Trader's a great athlete. Against Army, that shows. Against Purdue, that showed. You play these top 25 teams, Clemson's not ranked, but, like, Talent-level-wise, we all agree that they very well could be and probably will be by the end. You play these types of teams who have defenses filled with NFL athletes, Garrett Schrader's not at that level. And to be fair,
1: the offensive line has been hurt. The offensive line has not played well. And so Schrader's constantly put in a bad spot. I, I'm the, the physicality of Schrader isn't my concern. It's the decision-making. The fact that LaQuint Allen didn't have 12 receptions against Florida State, it should have been dump-off after dump-off after dump-off. And it just seems like everything is a downfield shot or like a weird Donovan Brown slant. There's no mid-range game, and there's no game of let's just get it to my safety valve, LaQuint Allen.
0: So when it comes to Garrett Trader and his sort of decline, for the lack of a better word, this season, there, there are two moments that I circle back to. The first of which is that Purdue game. As great as he played, he ran the ball 25 times. Yeah. Not easy for a quarterback to recover from, especially in just one week. And to his credit, 195 yards, four scores. Not easy to recover from. And then the second one is that hit right out of the shoot against Clemson. He got absolutely destroyed. You have to wonder... Lingering concussion effects, among other things? I don't know if I want to speculate
1: in terms of an injury there, but I I just think in general, it goes back to my point about decision-making. He, similar to this week, he wasn't making maybe smart passes and against Clemson, you got to slide you got to make business decisions not just for yourself but for the team so my bi- i'm not going to speculate any injuries but my biggest takeaway is the decision making has to be better especially from a guy who's played as much college football as he has
2: to me the one play that defined Garrett Trader's season was against Western Michigan on the first offensive possession when Aronde Gadsden gets hurt um, when Aronde Gadsden goes down it turns Garrett Trader into a different quarterback because he doesn't have a guy in the middle of the field who he can trust and who can get 1,000 yards a year. Schrader doesn't have a good arm. So when he wants to throw outside the numbers, I got news for you. It's not going to work out very well. It's not even that he'll be late sometimes, so just not have enough on it, which makes the football late. So when Gadsden got hurt, that took away the middle of the field for Syracuse. Now the offense is, from a passing standpoint, dump offs to LaQuint Allen, some slants to Donovan Brown, but mostly it's Umari Hatcher, Damian Alford, run down the field and try to jump over a guy. That is not conducive to Garrett Schrader's skill set. So when Gadsden got hurt, it doomed Schrader, in my opinion, to a season like this.
0: Well, I mean, you look at the receiving core around him, and I think the past few weeks, particularly with the Florida State game, show this better than any. They don't have the athleticism to compete with the best defensive backs in the country, let alone the ACC.
1: I mean, North, North Carolina, in that game, Damian Alford didn't make a single catch.
2: Not a single catch. When was the last time Damian Alford didn't have a catch? Tribute question.
1: Uh, early last season. Purdue. Last Purdue. Week Purdue three.
2: last year? Week three.
1: Fifteen games. And that's
0: because Damian Alford made every single catch
1: that game, pretty much. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly.
0: All uh, right, well, just an ugly all-around affair on the football field, but hopefully things are starting to look in Syracuse's direction off the field for topic number two.
1: Number two.
0: This has been one of the great recruiting sagas in Sy- in Central New York high school football recently. Syair Torrance, wide receiver at the Christian Brothers Academy, brother of former Syracuse basketball player Symeer Torrance, decommitted from Syracuse this past May, commits to Michigan State, then decommits a few days ago to the point where his recruitment has reopened. We wrote about it earlier this week. Is there any chance that he comes back?
1: I think it's possible. I mean, he doesn't have a formal relationship with Syracuse anymore since his brother no longer attends But, I mean, you grow up 15 minutes from campus, there's probably a decent shot. Now, I will say the thing that probably leans towards maybe not coming back is there's a few things, actually. One, he's a very, very talented player that was getting recruited to the Big Ten, probably doesn't want to drop down to Syracuse's level. (laughs) And then number two is the fact that When he, It wasn't exactly a bad breakup between him and Dino Babers, but it wasn't great either. He was getting recruits recruited. He was still getting recruited after he had committed to Syracuse. He was getting formal offers. And so that's when the conversation started between Babers and Torrance. And Babers told him that he should maybe decommit if he wasn't exactly sure that he was going to Syracuse. And so that to me indicates that even when he was committed to Syracuse, Torrance was never 100% all in. And so, I, I, it's not like you're just winning him back. You're really still trying to win him for the first time. So
0: my big takeaway from this whole saga is that in this day and age, recruits decommitting, you know, screw year screw months, days after originally committing is it's as easy as one, two, three. You can do it just like that. Well, with this player empowerment movement, with things like the NIL and transfer portal, really, Tyler dominating the collegiate athletics landscape. So. We should not be surprised. Sire Torrance, a year left at CBA, unless I'm mistaken. A lot of time no, to— No, he's, he's a senior. He's, he's a, a senior. senior. So, a senior. I'm, I met this, year. Yeah, so, this so so he, year. So, he will be in college yes. this coming fall. Yes. That, apologies for not making that clear. But, this whole thing is sort of circling back to me is should we be surprised? Because this isn't the first time in Syracuse that we've seen something like this. I look at Dior Johnson— how many times has he had to recommit? Boy, thank God he didn't come to series. The, that, that too. Uh,
1: Dior Johnson's completely different. Look, I, Torrance, I, I, Torrance may very well stay at Michigan State if there's not uh, a legal issue with Mel, Tecker, Mel Tucker, their head coach. So uh, we can speculate all we want, but he has to make the best decision for himself. He's 18 years old, maybe 17, I'm not exactly sure, but he, he's a kid and he needs to make the best decision for himself, not other people. I I understand
2: being wishy-washy about it. 100%. But let's look at this real quick from a Dino Babers perspective. This kid lives 10 minutes from where you play football. His brother was the backup point guard on the basketball team for two years. Dino could walk to his house if he wanted to. Correct. Yeah. How do you lose him? (laughs) He's the... I called one of his games at the beginning of this season. He's playing at a different speed than every other high school football player in Central New York, maybe every other high school football player in the state, he's in your backyard. You can't keep him home?
1: Exactly. No, He. he I remember, so I was calling a game of his last year yeah. at the Dome, mm-hmm. sectional championship game. You see him break down the sideline for, like, an 80-yard receiving touchdown. And it's like the fact that there aren't, like, I don't know exactly what recruiting rules might impact this, but the fact that there aren't, like, 80 SU scouts in the stadium standing up clapping after that play and being like, this could be, you could be running down this sideline in a college football jersey. Uh, How do you not capitalize on that? So,
0: so I, this brings me to a few points. One, the fact that the high school football in Central New York, I'm sorry, 2 resident. It's all resident. It's not good. It's not not good. good. It's not good. So, and we've talked a lot about Dino Babers not being able to recruit New York City, New Jersey, New England. This which whole region, is fair. Which is, but you got to yeah. clean up the ha- the f- four decent players I, in upstate. If you don't get the best player Central New York has seen in, God knows how long. It's been a while. It, it's been a lot. Um, you two can attest to this more than I can.
2: I can't. So, Tyler, you're from Syracuse. I'm from Rochester. Yes. The last football player to come out of Rochester that went to the NFL was a guy by the name of Brian Parker who played tight end at my high school, went to the University of Maine, and spent like a year and a half on the Broncos practice squad.
0: Go Black Bears, by the way.
2: <laughs> sure, and whatever you say. But that's the type of, like, that's the best football player in Rochester in the last decade.
1: Yeah, I mean, Sy- Syracuse probably produces a little bit better talent than that. Latavius Murray, I, I think, a okay. good running sure. back. Uh, he went down to Florida for, How for college. How long ago was that? That uh, was 10 years ago, exactly. I think. More than that, probably. Um, you know, there's a, a player on Syracuse's team right now, Elijah Wright,
0: who is a depth piece He's on the line walk-off. and plays fullback. He's a walk-on. So, you, you, you get a lot of walk-ons to Syracuse from Central New York, but you don't get many eye-popping recruits. No. You lose out on this kid. I think there's a case to be fired for that alone. Uh, especially with the
1: versatility that, that he provides because he was recruited as a wide receiver to Syracuse. To Michigan State, he was recruited as a cornerbacks coach.
2: He's going to he's gonna play DB in college.
1: And, and now, so a little bit of a, 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 maybe there was someone else with a local connection. The cornerbacks coach at Michigan State used to coach at Syracuse. His name was Jim Salgado. He was with the Bills for a few years. But he used to coach at Syracuse back in the 2000s uh, and lived here for a while. So he does have the Central New York connection, probably why he was able to recruit Torrance. But it's like, yeah, he had a connection and then left to Michigan State. Dino Babers is the head coach of Syracuse and still couldn't do it. He's getting out-recruited by people that moved away.
2: So well, it's,
0: it, it's a tough look. Uh, it's, a, it's
2: a really tough look. Now, and one thing, Liam, CBA also has a receiver named Dante Bashai. Who Syracuse just offered a couple of weeks ago? So let's see if they can get him at least. If they can get not well, not not quite on the same no, pedigree as Simon. but st- still, if you offer a guy who plays ten minutes away from where you play, you, you gotta, should be. You, you, you gotta sh- get
0: him. You should be able to get him. Then it's just it would just add to what has been, frankly, a recruiting disaster on the gridiron. But we head to the hardwood for topic number three.
1: Number three.
0: I can hear basketballs pounding the floor in my ear. Hoop season is almost here. Yeah, that that rhyme was unintentional, by the okay, way. Okay, Dr. Seuss. Yeah, I know, right? But Syracuse, oh, I didn't know it. Syracuse basketball had media day on Friday. In addition to the Orange Tip-Off event, Monroe Madness being hosted this Saturday. If you're in the Rochester area and want to get in... Early luck without driving 80 miles up Interstate 90. Good people in Rochester, just want to point that out. Great people. Uh, Ro- Rochester native Francesco Simone, but... Just make sure not to get a garbage plate while you're there. <laughs> I Just just. Saying. I'm
2: not a big fan, honestly. All I care about, tremendous people.
0: I was in the Mellow Center for media day on Friday. Got to talk to Coach Autry, talked to many players. The general consensus is positive around this team, Tyler. Well, I mean... If
1: you're getting a coach that everybody's feeling good about, did a great job recruiting in his first off season, it would be extremely concerning if if there wasn't positive news coming out of it. Now, talk to me in a month or two because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, I, I don't really take too much stock in people are feeling good at media day. I'm sure everybody's feeling great on media day in all teams across the country, or at least that's what they're portraying. Uh, but I'm curious, what were the X's and O's takeaways that you were actually able to get out yeah, of so Autry?
0: There, uh, it wasn't necessarily Autry that I got a ton out of because he, no, a lot more reserved than Jim Beheim. Yeah, Beheim and Autry are both quiet, but if you give Beheim a good question, he will give you a full answer. I didn't really get that sense out of Autry. He was a little more shy, for the lack of a better word, not necessarily willing to give away everything. But getting to talk to the players, man. Was awesome. Nikki McLeod told me a really interesting story. Okay. During that uh that Syracuse FSU game down in Tallahassee last year, when McLeod put up sixteen and eight, apparently he approached multiple players, or was approached by Quadir Copeland, John Bulajac, who no longer with the program. Even though, even though he's <laughs> still here, by the way. I I, I, I saw John Bulajac walking out of Newhouse on the way over here. Yeah, I, I don't know what he's doing, but he's still here. But we we've have you, we've all seen a lot of John Bulajac, even yes. though he's not. Still on the team. Anyway, back to McLeod. He said, word for word, I wanted to come here. And he started to send out that memo at that Florida State game, Francesco. Well, I, I, I not to step no, on your toes, Francesco. But I, I hope he plays
1: like he wants to be here. I, I think of all of the transfers, all of the newcomers to this team... McLeod is probably my biggest concern. Look, you come from Florida State playing 13 minutes a night, a few good performances all year, and he's about to be asked to be a starting caliber full game player for Syracuse, replacing an all ACC talent in Jesse Edwards. I wouldn't and, call him an all ACC talent. Je- Jesse Edwards? No. Not
0: when. Not, Objectively, he was an all ACC honorable assistant. mention this year. He was an all-ACC player. Okay, that doesn't make him as good as the best big men in the ACC. Uh, regardless,
1: you're re- to expect Naheem McLeod to be anything close to Edwards is painfully okay. optimistic. I, that I agree with. And just like, I think there's a lot of very optimistic SU fans thinking maybe McLeod is just going to step in and be a great starting center, and we really have zero idea if he can be anything close to that.
0: I mean, the only the only thing that I feel like has su fans really buzzing about him is the fact that he's seven feet four inches tall that's cool that's a full foot taller than me and that's really hard to do so is pascal chukwu <laughs> he was like
1: seven two and he could barely hold a basketball so
2: just because you're tall doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a great center that's that's, that's very fair i w- with that's McLe- a good that's a good line with mcleod and tyler you mentioned this a little bit he's been a backup his entire career right? correct now w- what are starters for the most part former backups right so maybe he turns into something that's really, really useful for Syracuse. It's a big if. Here's is a... the thing, though: it doesn't necessarily need to be just him, because you also have Munir Hema. Now, do I think Munir Hema is about to turn into a star? No, I don't. However, what you do have there is you've got two guys who are big, two guys who are really athletic, and two guys who, at the very least, can block shots and dunk the basketball. It... So you got two kicks at the can, right? If McLeod doesn't work out, there is still the chance that Hema does. Now, am I confident that either one of them will become a great center in the ACC? No, but two tries is better than one. Let me lay
1: this out. Success for Syracuse at the center position. Now, let's pretend Malik Brown doesn't play there, which he should, but we can get into that another time. Uh, A a successful day in the office for Syracuse centers is that Hema and McLeod combine for 15 rebounds and probably nine fouls. Syracuse has foul issues every single year. Now you got two big bodies to throw out there. Pick up as many fouls as you need to. That's probably a
0: good day in the office for those two. So, the another one of the impressions I got from media day is that the offense, let's be real, it's not going to revolve around the center. Nope. Right? A lot of the talk was about Judah Minton, Quadrior Copeland mainly, improving their outside game, which by the way, I'm all in favor of. That is fantastic. And by the way, Judah at the end of the year was shooting threes like nobody's business. That too. So, it was about being well-rounded in all facets of the game for the guards and wings, whether that be inside or outside scoring, rebounding the basketball, or defense. So the notion I got from that was, oh, Mahima Cloud and Muhirini Rihema aren't going to need to be these high-profile offensive threats. Not
1: at all. But someone that the group that will need to be provide at least a little bit is the wings, and Syracuse has a lot of depth at the wing position and no stud. Benny Williams has never broken out. Chris Bell was supposed to be this amazing amazing shooter. Can't always do that and doesn't rebound for his life. And then Justin... He did get a
0: few rebounds in the orange tip off That's though. great.
1: He got a rebound in a scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Justin Taylor has shown flashes, was great during the Bryant game, and then never replicated that. So, yes, the guards might be great on the outside. The centers probably don't have to do much. I'm worried about a lack of a stud on the wing.
2: I think you hit the nail on the head. Um... Benny Williams is not a power forward. No. But that's probably where he's going to have to play. Yes. Because you want either Justin Taylor or Chris Bell on the floor. Um, so, to me, how far this Syracuse team goes is contingent on, can two of Benny Williams, Chris Bell, Justin Taylor. I need two of those guys to become really good players. Correct. Can you throw Claudia Copeland in that mix? No. He's I a different it, type of player. He's a different type of player. I need, to, I need a scorer off the wing or two.
1: And he's, he's certainly more of a guard. I think Quadir brings a ton to this game. You know, it's funny. I was talking with one of my friends about just Syracuse basketball the other day. And this team that, with all the transfers and different players is the personnel that Coach Beheim was looking for when it came to finding a team that could play the zone in the modern era for, like, the last decade.
2: You're so right. Like, You're he so hasn't right. had
1: the personnel. He didn't have the personnel to run zone defense correctly for the past decade, and now he leaves as he was going to run man, and he's You're got so right. he's got long guys out the wazoo who have, like, wingspans <laughs> that stretch so from right. sideline <laughs> to sideline. Like, so this right. is the team that should be playing zone, and it's too late. It's this too bad. You're
2: right. This is a perfect zone team. Two active guards at the top two. You're so right.
1: And then Quadier okay. Copeland, who go. can play it's any it's position. Uh, Malik Brown is the perfect forward for a 2-3. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's so painful that Beheim didn't get this group to play zone, because that would have been pretty. And I think it would have proved to a lot of people that the issue wasn't playing zone. It, it was, was playing zone with playing the personnel. Exactly. Yes. Well, Autry
0: hasn't straight-up declared that it will be exclusively man-to-man yet. I think, if I think more than anything, it's going to be a mix of man and zone, much more so than what it was under Coach behind but overall, generally good things came out of Media Day. And something else good came out on Bleacher Report earlier this week. That's topic number four.
1: Number four.
0: At BR underscore hoops on Instagram, if you couldn't get that, that's Bleacher Report's Instagram account about hoops. Declared JJ Starling...
2: I thought it was, thought it was her soccer account.
0: Oh, good oh, call. Okay. Uh, JJ Starling, as a potential sophomore breakout candidate for my breakdown on that and all of our separate articles you can go to the for that. So, when I when I when I saw that, I thinking to myself, is he really a breakout player because it's not as if Francesco, he was this bench warmer at Notre Dame last year. I
2: think I think it is fair to call him a potential breakout because what he would be breaking out from was good player to half of the best guard combo in the ACC, right? He averaged about eleven points per game at Notre Dame last year, shot about thirty percent from the three, couple of rebounds a game, couple of assists a game. I think him and Judah can be unbelievably electric. I mean, they it's been since Elijah Hughes that Syracuse has had an athletic above the rim type guard mm-hmm. who can really score for you. They're gonna have two of them this year.
1: Oh yeah it's really exciting to see, especially I was very disappointed when Syracuse missed out on Starling. He got recruited away. As was I. Recruited away now, to Notre Dame.
2: Now think about it this way, though. If you get JJ, you probably don't get Judah last year.
0: Probably.
1: That's, probably. That's correct. So it it all works out in the end, and the props to Syracuse for holding on to Judah for another year. Um, but, he, I mean, I remember my brother was playing against him when my, my brother was like, a junior and J.J. Starling was a freshman playing varsity basketball. And he steps onto the court. He's, what, 14, 15 years old. And you knew this kid was going to be elite. And the fact that Syracuse finally has him is pairing him with another athletic guard that can play off the ball, too. It's just the versatility is really exciting because you don't have point guard and shooting guard. You have two combo guys that can mix things up in a in a crazy amount of ways. You
0: bring up the versatility, and that's something I want to bring up because I don't feel like Notre Dame's offensive system gave him the opportunity no. to showcase that versatility at all. also a bad Notre
2: Dame team. But Correct.
0: That was also a bad Notre Dame team. Why was it bad, though? Because they were dead set on the three-pointer or nothing else. That Notre Dame team was not athletic. I mean, Dan Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, Nate Leschewski, good players. That doesn't mean they can jump a whole lot or have quick first steps off the dribble. They were contingent on shooting, and that's not J.J. Starling's game. His game is all about going inside, slashing to the rim, and ramming it on the opponent's head, like we saw in the Dome last year, yeah. funny enough.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, no doubt about it. Like, this is a team that's based off of athleticism, even up and down the positions, right? Guards, forwards, and setters. Excuse me, but it's all going to start with with the guards, right? I think Judah has the ball in his hands, the lion's share of the time. Which it should be. It should be, 100%. The thing that I'm interested to see is, do they, I think, they should always have one of those two on the court. I would I, agree with that. I think either Judah or J.J. should always be on the court. I don't think there should be a backcourt of Cuadillo-Copeland and, and Chance Westry. I think this can
0: be played out perfectly, like how most NBA 1-2 punches are played out. Like, like, take LeBron and Anthony Davis mm-hmm. with the Lakers. One of them is on the floor for all 48 minutes of the game.
1: They start the game, they finish the game, and stagger in between. Exactly. I, it's it's yeah. a pretty clear... The, there
0: should never, ever, ever be a minute, ex- unless there's an injury or some godforsaken circumstance like that, one of them should be on the court at all times. Unless it's, like, the second half of a 40-point sure, win over Niagara. Sure, sure. But, like, but I, I, look yes. at, I look at this as, like, you have, if you keep one of them on the floor at all times, unless you're playing, I'm just spitballing players in the ACC here, unless you're playing Kyle Filipowski, who probably going to win ACC Player of the Year, you're probably going to have the best player on the court at all times, as long as one of them is in the game. Uh, I mean Armando Bacot's pretty good. Um, yeah, is he back?
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, he's yes. taking a fifth year. Uh, Armando Bacot, by the way, seeing him in person, what a monstrosity of a human being! He's the <laughs> biggest person I've ever seen in my life. Um, Nahima Cloud a close second because of height. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you're gonna have the best player on the court every time you're playing. I think. That's more so a case with Judah than it is with J.J., but I suppose we'll see when the season gets started. But you're going to have a player on the court who is a stud. Right? That's the point. You're going to yes. have a guy in the backcourt who is a really, really talented basketball player. And you, and player, you look at important. the
0: best teams in college basketball, you always have a defined scoring option you can look to that's going to come through. Syracuse did not have that last year when Judah Mintz was off the court. No. You were praying on Joe Girard to... Make a heat check three or something along those lines, Tyler.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm always – I, maybe it's the homer in me. I, I'm always going to come to the defense of Syracuse fans talking about Joe Girard. But yes, there was a point where his style of play did not fit Syracuse's style of play last year, and he shouldn't have been the go-to guy. If Joe Girard was the third option on a good Syracuse team, he would be remembered very differently. But that, that's going down a whole other rabbit hole. At the end of the day, you're right. Syracuse didn't have a guy last year. It Before that, it was Elijah Hughes was the guy. Before the that, it was Tyus Battle was the guy. Going back a little bit further, maybe we're getting into the the C.J. Fair era, but Syracuse hasn't had one of those in several years. Malachi Richardson. Yeah, Malachi Richardson was that for the one year he was there.
2: Yeah, he should have been here for longer, but that's besides the point.
1: Yes. He's well, a
0: great Hoop Grids answer, though, if you guys play that trivia game. Phenomenal. We'll soon, f- we'll soon find out if J.J. Starling is or fulfills Bleacher Report's profit, for the lack of a better term. Can he be a sophomore breakout candidate? We go back to the gridiron for topic number five.
1: Number five.
0: So let's set the scene here. Syracuse is four and three. The Orange won their first four games, then lost their next three games, none of which were in particularly pretty fashion. So you got five games left. Virginia Tech on the road next week. Boston College on Friday night during Family's Weekend at home. Pittsburgh at Yankee Stadium. At Georgia Tech. And then Wake. Correct. So I'd like to ask you both, what expectations do you have? The expectations should be 3
1: and 2 at minimum. Look, I I think if Syracuse fans right now are feeling so much less confident than they were before the season, that confuses me. Because if you go before the season, you'll look hopefully 3 and 1 through the first 4 games, maybe 4 and 0, oh, and then probably lose the next 3. I, people they the people just live so much in the moment where it's like, oh, well, Syracuse went started four and O They should probably beat Clemson UNC or Florida State. No, that's not the case. Now the losses were very, very bad. However, against some of the best teams in the sport. Two top ten teams. And so the expectation should be three and two. Boston College has looked pretty bad. Pitt has been up and down, just beat Louisville, but before that looked bad. Virginia Tech hasn't been great. Georgia Tech hasn't like none of these teams have been great. So you hope that they're 50-50 games and Syracuse comes out on the winning end for more of them.
2: The expectation has to be to win two of them. I mean, if, if you miss a bowl game this year. Oh, oh my. Oh my. I, that that's not gonna. I mean. You think the expectation is just two, though? I think that's the, At the minimum, bare minimum. minimum. That's the bare minimum. I feel like the minimum should be three. I think if you if you get to two, you're saving jobs. Yeah. I think if you I think if you if they end this season four and eight or five and seven. Somebody's getting fired. Yes. I don't think it's Dino necessarily. Who do you think it is? If I not think Dino. somebody's losing their job. I, I don't know who. I, I will don't think it's Dino
1: though. I will say, I'm so sick of the mid season conversations about Dino's job just because. He is—he's been a, a five and seven to seven and five coach his entire career, minus one season.
2: And a one, well, a, a, one season on each direction. Season. Yeah,
1: one season each. Try. A yeah. ten win and a ten loss season. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yes, if Syracuse misses a bowl game, he should be fired. I said Dino Baber should be fired three years ago. At this point, I don't think he's gotten any worse as a coach. I'd say he's probably gotten better. Yeah. So in. in not a great recruiting history, but it, the next, the class of twenty twenty four is He's one good. of his better ones. So yeah.
0: I, th- so I look at both of your analyses per se, and I lean more towards Tyler in terms of the expectation it should be three wins.
1: You got a match last
0: year's seven and five, well, in my opinion. A that, B, let's let's be real. The caliber of SU's opponents, you mentioned BC, is not good. Virginia S- Tech failed to beat Purdue at home. SU statistically has the easiest
1: schedule remaining of any Power Five team. Yeah. Boston, of any Power Five. Boston teams.
0: College, not good. Pittsburgh is the definition of mediocre. As is Georgia Tech. Then you have a Wake Forest team that has taken a major step back offensively without Sam Harmon, which to be expected, to be expected. But at the same time, if you don't find a way to win three of those, I think
2: there's a case to be made. Syracuse should win all five. Uh, yes,
0: there is. I mean,
1: should, but will they probably not? Yeah.
2: No, I think you could make a case that Syracuse is at least on par, better than all the five teams are playing. Yeah. But that would also make them nine and three, which we we, we all agree is not going to happen. Well, it yeah. could
1: be nine and three. Not there could be two very different nine and three teams. This, Understood,
2: but Tyler, you think this team's going nine and three? I don't care how they get Do there. Do
1: I? No, but the the other aspect is uh, you should keep in mind the injuries, and yeah. every college team gets injured. Yeah, but having yeah. your offensive line eviscerated and your top receiver eviscerated by injuries is. That's really tough for anybody to deal with. So yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens there. But the expectation should be to match last year's record.
2: Absolutely. So if I told you they're going 2-3 and, and I'm guaranteeing you a bowl game, you wouldn't sign up for it?
1: Uh, I wouldn't sign up for it. Where,
2: where's the bowl? Where's the bowl?
1: I don't be. That does not matter to me. It, it does either. to me. Why is that? Oh, come If it's on. the
0: Fenway Bowl,
1: I'm uh, all in. Well, nah, because you're from Boston. That's,
2: uh, isn't that the finals week? No, not this year. Oh, not this year. Okay, it's after yeah. Christmas this year. So I, oh,
1: okay. I I'm not signing up. For, I'm absolutely not signing up for that. Would I be calling for Dino Baber's job? No, just because I, I think the current administration has shown that they're not willing to, you know, cut ties very quickly with people. I
2: think there's a world in which they make some changes at the, uh, at the assistant level. Uh, but like, it's hard you to. Think, you it's think hard you're to... talking Jason Back, Rocky Long? I'm talking Jason Back. It's, I disagree. I with don't think I don't think he's been very good.
1: I yeah, but also. You're asking him to utilize guys that are dropping half the passes they're throwing.
2: uh, Tyler, I agree. I'm just saying that if there were changes to be made, he's probably who I would start with.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rocky Long has been pretty locked down given the position he's been put in. I mean, allowing touchdowns from the five-yard line because of turnovers, he can't do anything about that. Beck Beck has had stretches of games where I've been like, why does he keep throwing it deep passes with Schrader's arm? But then there's been other parts where I've been like, oh, I like that trick play with Brown. I like how they're utilizing Velari. I think he's done a lot of a lot of smart things. I, in an ideal world, if there was a coaching change, I'd keep the coordinators
2: and probably change the man on top. But that's well, yeah, not a real you're that's not a realistic You're, realistic you're not changing the man on top. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole Dino Baber should be fired thing is, is an argument and fallacy because it's probably not going to happen. So exactly. No, even, if you believe, even if you believe it should you're yelling at a brick which which is why i've can, been anti you, that debate. And you, and, and, you can, and you can make a justified case that he should but the
0: question is will he at the end of the day probably not because no i'm i'm sorry john waltak too cheap to do it
2: i, I don't uh, know if it's him i mean it's a
1: university right there's a there's Walt a lot of hack, the university yeah.
2: just
0: university administration correct
1: yeah there's a, there's a lot of a lot of hands in the pot so not exactly sure
2: a lot of hands in lo- the pot not enough gold in it is the bingo,
1: bingo 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 Yes. We'll, we'll see how uh, Orange United, that new
0: NIL collective, impacts yeah. things. Let's well, hope, right? Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we say so
2: long? Um, Tyler, thanks for joining us. Ah, yeah. it, was, it was a pleasure. Thank, you, for,
0: thank you very much, Tyler. Uh, with Tyler Aiken and Francesca Simone, I'm Liam Griffin. This has been Fizz Five. You can follow us on social media at Orange Fizz and check out all of our content on th- at theorangefizz.com. Thanks so much for tuning in and go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.